Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you once again on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our short series on liturgy. Uh, last Lord's Day, we considered what happens, the question, what happens when we worship? With God's help, we learned that when we worship, very simply, we meet with God. What happens when we worship? We meet with God. That is, we meet with our triune God in a real and supernatural way. We are given spiritually access into the holy place of God because of the once for all time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is both our sacrificial lamb and our high priest. He is both the one who offers the sacrifice, and at the same time, he is also the sinless, spotless sacrifice. He is the one who offers, and he himself is the offering. It is through Christ, by his Holy Spirit, who has sealed us as his own, that when we gather for worship, we have fellowship and communion with God. So the next time that you are asked by one who is interested in what happens when you worship at RBC, you can accurately say to them, we meet with God. Take a picture of their face after you say we. (laughs) We also learned that when we meet with God, we are conformed to Christ. Pastor Isaiah this evening would have been teaching, this afternoon would have been teaching, when we worship, we are deified. Or when we worship, we are made like Christ. When we worship, we meet with God and we are changed. Our minds are now enlightened by the Holy Spirit so that we can know and believe what we know. And not only believe what we know, but as we'll talk about in a moment, love what we know. We are being renewed, our minds are. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have been given the mind of Christ and our minds are Constantly being conformed to the mind of Christ. That is why, brothers and sisters, you can be instructed on the deep things of God and you can know them. Because you've been given new minds. And it's also why when you bring visitors who are uh, unconverted, why they don't understand what is being taught because they have not yet the mind of Christ. What is more, our hearts are being changed. One of the brothers brought to my attention, I wish you would have said it before my sermon, but brought to my attention a passage that truly encapsulates this idea of minds and hearts jointly changed and conformed to Christ when we gather for worship. He reminded me of the disciples who met with Christ on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Without giving a complete exposition of the passage, after the crucifixion of Christ, some of the disciples were discouraged They had believed that maybe they had misunderstood who Jesus was. That maybe, perhaps, they were even wrong about who he was. And as they are discussing this most interesting conversation, our Christ walks upon these men. But in disguise, he's veiled. They are not able to recognize him. In short, he begins to ask them, what are you talking about on the road? And they begin to share with him all of their confusion, maybe their frustration, and possibly even most most 
Most of all, their misunderstanding. Our Lord then begins to walk them through the scriptures. The scriptures say that he explains everything from Moses and the prophets to today, to their time, all things concerning himself. Soon thereafter, he was gone. And their eyes were open. And this was their testimony. In Luke 24, 32, they said, Were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road? When he was doing what? While he was explaining the scriptures to us. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is exactly the work of the Holy Spirit when we gather for worship. As the scriptures are being explained, is there not a burning in our hearts, a longing after God? And brothers and sisters, as, as this dear brother said, it's not charismatic to say that. It's completely orthodox to say that. It is completely right and true to say that as the scriptures are being expounded and as God's word is coming forth from a holy place like this as we are preaching, our hearts should burn within us. As the scriptures are being opened to us, our hearts should swell and they should grow as our understanding of our triune God grows. So much could be said about what happens when we worship. Perhaps in the future we will spend more time just on that topic alone. But today we will move forward. Today we will consider the call to worship. The call to worship. The call to worship is uh, really the beginning of our formal worship. It's the beginning of our liturgy. It's the formal announcement that worship has begun. Our announcements are not a part, a part of the call to worship. When we open the scriptures, which we'll talk about in a moment, when we open the scriptures and read from God's word, God's call to his people to worship, that is the formal call to begin worship. Not from man, we'll get to in a moment, but from God. You've been hearing the word liturgy for the, next, the last couple of weeks, I'm sure. And so... Just to give a brief definition as we prepare to move forward with our point this morning, what is liturgy? Liturgy is worship, more specifically, the order of worship. Liturgy is the, it is worship, or more specifically, the order of worship. Brothers and sisters, whether you are Reformed, non-denominational, Roman Catholic, Anglican, Eastern Orthodox, or something else, you have a liturgy when you gather for worship. There is a certain order to worship, whether it is Orthodox and Reformed, or whether it is, it is just something that is creative that they're making up. It is a, there is a certain order to worship. There are certain things that all churches do that structure their worship. This is called Liturgy. Some structure their order of worship, again, according to what they deem to be creative, trendy, mixed with scripture. We would call this low church. We would call this low church. Others order their worship with solemn rituals that have been passed down from tradition mixed with scripture. We would call this high church. Low church is that which is mixed with trendy, creative ideas 
and scripture. High church is that which is mixed with uh, rituals passed down throughout the ages mixed with scripture. Low church, high church. Others order their church strictly based upon what God has commanded and no more. Wisdom and prudence throughout the service, such as what time do we meet, do we sit, what kind of chairs do we sit in, those are wisdom and prudence. But others order their worship strictly based upon what God has commanded in terms of worship. They believe that God tells them how they are to worship and they must not add or subtract anything to God's commands. This best describes reformed worship. That is, we worship according to the way that God has regulated his people to worship him. It is called the regulative principle of worship. There are elements of worship that have been ordered by God in his word and wisdom and prudence in how to apply those elements. We learn in our first sermon that we are to worship God as God has commanded us. God regulates again our worship according to what he has deemed acceptable and pleasing to him. We must offer to God that which God has required of us in our worship and nothing more and nothing less. In terms of liturgy, the order of our offering of worship, there will be oftentimes diversity. Yesterday, meeting with some of the men, I learned that although we are offering the same elements, uh, we, there is some diversity to the way that we worship. But as long as all of the elements are there, then it is true and proper worship. Not all churches will worship in a, the exact same manner. But as long as the elements are there, then it is worship acceptable to God. We believe that the order of our worship, by good and necessary consequence and by wisdom, best leads us to ascend Mount Zion. As we are worshiping, there should be an ascent taking place. There should be a mountain, a, a spiritual mountain climbing expedition taking place when we gather for worship. We should be ascending Mount Zion. And each part of our order of worship should, should be a, a, another step in that ascension. We ultimately have been brought into the holy place of God. He has invited us there. And it should, we should get a sense of that as we gather for worship. We believe this begins with the call to worship. The call to worship. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we have three points this morning concerning the call to worship. Let us begin with our first point. Number one, the covenantal nature of the call. The covenantal nature of the call. This is once again Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, <clears throat> since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith. We've asked this question. What happens when we worship? When we worship, it is vital that we understand that there is covenantal communion. Covenant communion that is taking place. Our communion with God is based upon our covenant with God. The members of the covenant are present. God and his people. And we have come to 
commune with Him, to fellowship with Him. And we have access to this relationship through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can enter into the holy place with confidence because of the blood, the covenant blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, worship, what is it? Yes, it is ascribing to the Lord all the glory that is due to His name. But worship, intimately, is covenant communion with God. It is ascribing to the Lord all the glory that is due to His name. And it is covenant communion with God Almighty. The public gathering of worship, it is a meeting. It is a meeting between the two parties of the covenant, between God and His people. Some would like to broaden this idea of worship. Saying something like this, all of life is worship. We live our entire lives in worship to God. I don't disagree with that. But the point of contention is the word worship. That is, these would have you believe that wherever we find ourselves in our lives, that is where we worship. That we, as one trendy church says, we live out our worship. When one says that all of life is worship, they're using the word worship, listen to this, in the broad sense of the word. They are saying in the broad sense of the word that we should be living our lives quorum Deo, before the face of God. That in all that we do, whether we eat or drink, whether we uh, stand or rise, that in all that we do, we do all things to the glory of God. Well, this is true. We should do all things to the glory of God. But when we worship, there is something altogether differently happening here. And those who would like for you to believe that all of life is worship, they are in essence attempting to lower the importance of the gathering of the saints. They are attempting to say it doesn't matter if you go to church or not. As long as you are living a life to glorify God, that is what most matters. Well, brothers and sisters, that's false. And also when we are speaking about worship, God has a narrow view or a narrow meaning of worship. So one is broad, saying all of life. The other, that God intends when he speaks of worship, is more narrow. Worship, in the broad sense, is live your life before God. True. Worship in the narrow sense. Worship in the narrow sense focuses on specific activities and ordinances that we must do when we gather for worship. That is true worship. That is, that when we gather for worship, God has given us certain commands that we must obey. And that there is something that is actually taking place when we are obeying those commands, and that is covenant communion with God. That's worship in the narrow sense. Worship in the broad sense, live your life to glorify God. Worship in the narrow sense, narrow in that it is what is intended by God, is that when you gather, and you should, God has given to us a certain way in which we are to worship Him, and when we do, we have covenant communion with Him. That is worship. Not only in the narrow sense, but worship in the true sense. When the woman at the well asked our Lord Jesus, 
Where must we worship? On this mountain? Or on that mountain? Our Lord does not say, what do you mean, worship here or worship there? All of life is worship. Our Lord knows that this woman is speaking about worship in the narrow sense. That our Lord knows that there are specific activities that this woman is inquiring about. And our Lord does not correct her belief that there are certain specifics to worship. Rather, our Lord understands that there are specifics to worship and does not get involved in non-specifics. Does that make sense? The call to worship is a call from our God to have covenant communion with God. Where? In his heavenly temple. God calls us. God summons us. God draws us to have communion with him. Think about, for a moment, brothers and sisters, what a meeting with God would be like if God had not called us and we were still in our sin. Meeting with God would be a horrifying moment. We would cower in fear because of guilt and shame that we deserved. We would be doomed for damnation and there would be nothing that we can do to escape the righteous judgment of God. But praise be to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that they have decreed, that he has decreed to save a people for his own glory, to restore communion that was lost because of sin through the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is accomplished through the new covenant. We celebrate this new covenant each day that is called the Lord's Day. Each Lord's Day we come and celebrate the covenant that God has made with us. This afternoon we will come to the Lord's table and we will celebrate the new covenant. Luke twenty-two twenty. this covenant or this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's the covenant that Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming when God would make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with Judah. Our Lord promises in this new covenant to put his law on our hearts, to be our God, and for us to be his people. That we shall know him, and that he shall remember our sin no more. God has accomplished this new covenant in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has made us members, participants of this new covenant, through repentance and faith in Christ alone. Now consider God meeting with us in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 18. The scriptures say, For you have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched, and to a blazing fire, to a darkness and gloom and whirlwind. You've not come to that. You've not come to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that they begged, they who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them. The writers of the Hebrews are saying, you're not coming to an old covenant. And you are not come as guilt, you know, you are not coming as guilty people. You are coming rather to Mount Sinai. You are coming to a different mountain, which celebrates, you're not coming to Mount, you're, you're not coming to Mount Sinai, you're coming to Mount Zion. And on Mount Zion, a new covenant is celebrated altogether. Mount Sinai was that place of the old covenant. It was the place of trembling, of smoke, and of lightning. 
It was one of the mountains of the covenants. You know the first mountain of the covenants. It was Mount Eden. And we failed on Mount Eden, didn't we? Through Adam. The next mountain was Mount Sinai. And the people of God failed at Mount Sinai. And only Moses was allowed to ascend Mount Sinai. And then later the priests were allowed to ascend Mount Sinai, but never the people. Praise be to God, brothers and sisters, that we don't come to Mount Eden. We are not coming to Mount Sinai. But God, through Jesus Christ, has brought us atop the mountain of Zion. He brings us to the holy place. Listen to what the scriptures say. When we gather for worship, we are in the city of the living God. When we gather for worship, we are in the heavenly Jerusalem. When we gather for worship, we are among the myriads and myriads of angels. When we gather for worship, we are among the general assembly, which is the church. The firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. When we gather for worship, we are before God, the judge of all. We are before the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And we are before Christ, our mediator of the new covenant. And our hearts have been sprinkled clean with the blood of Jesus. A blood that is better than the blood of Abel. Just saints, we have come, Hebrews says. Not, not that we will go. We have come. When we gather for worship, we have come to this place. When we worship, because we are members of this new covenant. This covenant has been fulfilled by the greater Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our worship is now a peaceful covenant communion with God. Amen. It's not hostile like it was at Sinai. We are not sent out of Mount Eden like Adam was. But rather, through Christ, we are welcomed into the holy place. Amen. As guiltless, shameless saints of God. We have been invited into his presence and we are here now. What you are, I pray, hearing and receiving is heaven this morning. This building is not the holy place. Through the word of God preached, we are being lifted up to the holy place. Heaven is the holy place. And right now, we are there. You may say, I don't, I don't feel like I'm there. I, I feel all the pains of earth. I feel all the sicknesses of earth. I, I have all the troubles of, of earth. By faith, we worship with the company of heaven. By faith. We give glory to God along with the company of heaven. By faith, we are in his presence. We have been given access through the blood of the mediator. The mediator of this covenant. And we are in the city of the living God. And we need not fear. Have you come to worship God? Then you need not fear. Have you come to worship God? Then we are not like Israel. Who begs that no further word from God would be spoken. But we, we are the true Israel who says, speak Lord, your people are listening. We gather for worship. We need not fear because of sin, because our sin has been removed. We need not fear because of guilt, because our guilt and shame have been removed. We have been sprinkled clean. Our consciences, our hearts have been sprinkled clean by the sinless, spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews says, that when we worship, God is displaying covenant faithfulness and inviting us into the holy place. Amen. 
We are in, right now, the holy place of God. Our assembly is, again, a mountain-climbing expedition to the holy place of God, to where we are now. We pray that we continue to go further and further into the holy place. This morning, we go to Zion. This morning, we are marching to Zion. This afternoon, we will be in the city of the living God. This morning, we worship in heavenly Jerusalem. Not someday. This is not what God says in his word. In verse 22 of chapter 12, but you have come. You are now here among all of the host of heaven. Saints, this is all because of the new covenant. And we are members of that covenant. And we have come this morning to worship God in spirit and in truth. We are not members of the covenant of works. We are not members of the Mosaic covenant. We are members of the new covenant, the covenant of grace. We are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. We are no longer sinners. We are saints. And we worship our covenant God and have covenant communion with him this morning. You are here because you are members of the new covenant. Our gathering is a gathering of the saints. Our worship is communion with our triune God who has graciously made us. God has made us members of this covenant. And therefore, God calls the members of his covenant, of this covenant, to come and give to him all that is proper. Ascribing to the Lord all of the glory that is due to his name. Therefore, when we gather for worship, we must not attempt to make our worship palatable for the unbeliever. When we gather for worship, we must not make our worship acceptable for the unbeliever. Appealing to the unbeliever. Something that has been ordered or structured, a a liturgy that looks something like what the world, what the unbeliever would feel comfortable with. I hope that you know what I'm saying. Worship is not seeker sensitive. Worship is not offered, not to be offered in such a way that it, it intentionally appeals to the preferences of someone who is an unbeliever. We do not order our worship for unbelievers. We don't want unbelievers to feel right at home in their unbelief. That they are not a member of the new covenant. Then they are still at Mount Sinai. If they cannot hear the word of God. If they cannot stand the prayers of the saints. If they won't tolerate the hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. They do not long for the Lord's Supper or to be baptized. And if they won't come back, it's because they know that they are still at Mount Sinai and not Zion. They have not repented and placed faith in Christ. Therefore, they do not have have access to the holy city. And there is no other way for them to enter. There is not some other gate. There is only one way. Our Lord says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man enters except through Him. And there is no other way. Worship is covenantal communion between God, triune, and the saints that He has called out of darkness. 
This is why you should feel right at home and worship here. This is why you should not only feel, but you should know that you are home in worship. Because God's word has commanded such things. And as you are partaking in the worship, true worship of God, you should say, Ah, yes, I am at home in him. Ah, yes, true worship with me and with God and me, his servant. You should never feel out of place. You should never feel, if you are in covenant communion with God, as though you don't belong. Those who go out from us, go out from us because they are not among us. They are not one of us. Worship is covenant communion with God through his ordinances. God has appointed certain ordinances for worship by which he communes with us and we commune with him. He is our God and we are his people. Worship is covenant communion with God. Secondly, God calls us by his word. This is the call of worship. God calls us by his word. Again, Hebrews 10, 19. I won't read it again. The very outset of our offering of worship, we are reminded, as we did this morning in the newly adjusted way to our liturgy, we are reminded that we have gathered to worship because God has called us first. This is important that we keep this in mind. I repent because in our offering of worship to God, it is most often begin with our calling to God. We have been calling out to God for assistance, that God would hear us, that God would give listening to our ears, understanding to our minds, belief to our hearts. But we must understand and we must remember, and God forgive me, that even in ways that might seem unimportant, okay, so we, we opened up with prayer, big deal. There's something instructional about that, though, isn't there? In our habit, we are instructing the church that there is something that we do first. Rather than the opposite, something that God does first. It's important that we understand that it is first God who calls us and not we who call upon God. God is the divine initiator. God has first called us out of nothing when he created us. It is God who called man out of nothing. God who made man in his own image, who formed man from the dust of the ground, who breathed into him the, the breath of life. God then called man to worship him. All of this has been God being first, first to create, first to form, first to breathe life into, first to call to worship all of this is God being the divine initiator. God does this first. And what does the, the cre creation do? It responds to God. Creation responds to God. And asks God for help. To live in the manner that God has created him for. In creation, God calls man first. God also calls man first in redemption. God calls man first in creation, and God calls man first in redemption. We re rebelled against God. You know these. Our creator. We worship and serve created things rather than the creator who was forever blessed. We were corrupted by our sin. 
in our polluted state, we believe that we could somehow attain a right standing apart from God. That we had the ability to attain a place of our own throne, on our own throne, apart from any work of God, apart from any assistance of God. Dead in our sin and trespass, we had no desire to seek after God. And you know the verse, Romans 3, no one seeks after God in sin. But praise be to God. Because God is the divine initiator. God is first and not we. God being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the work of God. God did this first. So we're talking about our order of worship. And the reason why we began this morning with God's call to worship is because God is the one who first calls us, not we who call upon God. Our Lord Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. John will later say, the apostle, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. I think the point is clear. God takes the first step toward man. God initiated the covenant toward us. You are here this morning. Why? Because of your own strength? Because of your own ability? No, because God has called you. You would not have strength to get out of bed, some of us, most of us, if God did not give us strength to get out of bed. You would not have a desire to come and worship if God did not first give you a desire to come and worship Him. God is the divine initiator. God calls us to worship. So therefore, when we gather for worship and start our formal worship, God, we read His Word, who calls us to worship. It may seem like a small, uh, insignificant uh, tweak. It is very much so instructional. It is very much so teaching us who first calls, us or God. And we all know that it is God. We begin with God's word, not man's word. We begin not with our invocation, but God calling us. We, brothers and sisters, aren't we the called out ones? Aren't we the ones who have been elected, pre-first, predestined? God is the divine initiator. I will repent now for the third time. Because for so long, let us call out to God. No, no. God calls out to us. We were the race of Lazarus. We were dead in our tombs. And God called us. Out of our deadness and out of our tombs. Confession chapter 7, as well as well as Westminster. The distance between God and man is so great. God must condescend to man first in order to initiate covenant relationship with man. It is first God's movement, not ours. God moves toward us. We do not first move toward him. I hope that I am beating this, uh, this point into our our souls. Now this is important when it comes to liturgy or the order of worship. In the case of God being first, it's a witness to our church. And I pray that when visitors come, that this be one of the things that you use as a witness. Did you notice, dear one, family, uh, friend, that we began our service first with a scripture 
God's call to worship. Do you know that that God calls all those who are His by His gospel? And it will be, I pray, a tool that you can use to witness to your friends and family members who are visiting. Did you notice? They don't even have to, to know everything that was said in the sermon. You can just say, did you notice how we began our worship? God calls us. And I don't believe you are here, friend, by accident. You could be one of the ones that God is calling to himself. Share the gospel with them. God is the divine initiator. The call to worship reminds us of, of God being our covenant king as well, right? We are not entering into the holy place of God uninvited. Think about in the book of Esther. Queen Esther was faced with the extinction of her people. Mordecai implores her to go to the king, beg for help, beg that the king would intervene and stop evil Haman's plot. But Esther has a great fear. And here it is. She says to Mordecai, all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or for any woman to come into the king, come to the inner court of the king, when they are not invited, there is but one law for that person, and it is to be put to death. Anthony, David, Tony, Javier, Ophelia, Dinah, Mary, all of you who have placed your faith in Christ, you need not have such fear. Your king has called you into the inner court. Your king is inviting you into his presence. And not because of your work. But your king, your covenant Lord, is inviting you into his presence because of the perfect accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are washed in the blood. Because your conscience has been sprinkled clean by our great high priest who gives to you all of his righteousness. You can then enter into the holy place of God and come with confidence. You can come boldly to receive grace in time of need. The golden scepter, if you will, is extended to you. And what does God say? Something similar to what Ahasuerus says. Ask what you will. Ask what you will. Because your hearts have been changed. Because your minds have been changed. You will ask only that which is in accordance with God's will. So ask. Ask and it will be done. He has not given you half of the kingdom. As King Ahasuerus said to Esther, up to half my kingdom. No, God says the kingdom of God is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. You are partakers in the divine inheritance of Christ. It is yours. God has done this first. And he has done it through Christ. We, as we worship on Mount Zion, have been brought here by God Almighty. He has called us. So then let us draw near. Where is God calling us? He's calling us into his holy presence. He is calling us into covenant communion with him. He is calling us out of worldliness and into his worthiness. We are called to observe the good and holy law of God, to worship him alone. To put away all idols, to exalt his name, to honor his day, to offer worship to God alone, to offer 
the, the, the act of ascribing to God all that is rightly due to Him, to give our bodies, our hearts, our minds, all of us, as a sacrifice of praise to God. We begin with God's call, because we are the called out ones. And we come in response to His command to give worship to Him alone. Jonathan Cruz, in his book, What Happens When We Worship, the call to worship is not just a way to begin the service. Let's stop right there for a moment. It's not just a way to begin the service. It's not even a way to reorient our minds to think about God. Like, okay, let's all think about God now. Though it should do those things, he says, it is preeminently God through the minister calling his people into covenantal relationship into a covenantal conversation. To that, the call to worship is anything less than a massive understatement of what is happening when we worship. He calls you. You are members of the covenant. We respond. He extends grace. We respond. We acknowledge our sin. Well, we read his word. We acknowledge our sin. He forgives us. We worship him. We hear his word. He brings us to his table. Do you see this, this conversation that's going on between us and God throughout our worship? It's not just the things that we do because we've always done them. There's something more intentionally, something more covenantally taking place when we worship. This is why you must be here when the call to worship goes forth. You must be make every effort, make every provision to be here when not Antonio or Isaiah, but when God calls you to worship. Because I'm not calling you to worship. Zay's not calling you to worship. God is calling you to worship. And if it doesn't matter to you, then who are you coming to worship? Why are you here? What's the point of it all? If there's something more interesting out there, where God's word is not being taught, or even out there, then what's the purpose of being here? Covenant members have come to worship. There's a covenantal... You know that even now you are worshiping God. How? You are actively engaging your minds and your hearts into what God is saying through his word. This is worship. This is worship. This is why... All distractions should be eliminated. There's a conversation. God's speaking to you now. You are hearing every single word. Do you like talking to people who don't listen to you? When you're talking? It's a waste of time, isn't it? He is speaking to us now through his word. There is a covenantal relationship taking place here and now. I pray that even little ones are hearing God's word. Little ones, he is speaking to you even now. God is calling you into a relationship with him. If you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, this too can be true for you. Worship begins not with man's word, but with God's word. Not with man's call, as I have been doing, but with God's call. Our covenant God calls us.
And we must be here to respond to the call. We are his covenant people. And where is he calling us? Think about this. And where is he calling us? When he's saying, I'm calling out to you. I need you to respond. Lord, where will you take me? Into the holy place. Come. Come. Oh, tangible people. People who need to see, hear, feel, uh, taste, touch, and see. Let the truth of this be found first in that God has said it is so. So though your body is aching, like it will not ache in heaven when you are actually there, know that God has said that when you worship Him in spirit and in truth, you are there. He has called you. Uh, let me also say a few other side notes that may be um, kind of rebukes against other forms of call. The call to worship must be an imperative call from God. That means this. There must be a passage from God's word, because God speaks to us through his word, that actually does call us to come and worship him. That is a legitimate call to worship. Hebrews, for example, is an excellent example. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has inaugurated through us, uh, for us through the veil, and since we have a great high priest, listen to the imperative, let us draw near. Let us draw near with sincere hearts, offering to, to him worship. That is an imperative call to worship. I read this morning Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, serve the Lord with gladness. Listen to this. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God and he who made us his covenantal language now. And we are not, not we ourselves. We are his people, the people of this pasture. There's covenantal language going on there. He, we are his. He owns us. Uh, I would encourage some of you to go and, and search out the vassal and suzerain treaties of the ancient Near East to understand this idea of one being the superior, one being the inferior. The superior owns the inferior, but the inferior offers worship and service to the superior because of how good the superior is. They enter into a covenantal relationship. It is multiplied by an infinite number when you're speaking about God and his people. This passage, though, encapsulates, encapsulates what we have been discussing this morning. The call to worship. There is a statement that we owe worship to him because he has made us. That we are his covenant people, the sheep of his pasture. He has redeemed us. But there's an upward call. Do you notice this morning? We've said it all of my Christian life. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Do you know where the psalmist is is calling us to? Uh, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has me. I will... We've made it so cliche that it doesn't actually carry the weight with which it's it's meant to carry. We are being called into the holy place of God. 
not from a so-called worship leader, but from the worship leader, God Almighty himself, is saying, come into my gates, worship me. In whose courts? His courts. The truth of our worship is that we are in the presence of God. Give thanks to him there, the psalmist says, and bless his name, for he is good. His Here's then covenantal language. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. God is calling us spiritually, supernaturally, into his gates. Into his courts. We are... We are we are not called to be in fear when we are in the inner court of God in his presence. My, my wife and I, when we were um, still, uh, I was courting her. I used to take her to all places. Uh, I used to take her beyond all places that said trespassing. No trespassing. I, I used to take her beyond all signs that said no trespassing. I, I for whatever reason, felt a, some kind of kick out of passing that sign, no trespassing. To enter into courts where we were not authorized to go into. Not so with God. Only Moses was allowed to enter the courts. And then later only Aaron and the priests were allowed to enter the courts. Never the people of God. Now the people of God have been invited. Enter his courts. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Not with fear. Not go into the courts. Not go into the gates and say, I don't know if I should be here. We might get caught. Which is what always kind of made me excited when I would go to those places. We don't have those feelings. We don't have. We don't need to have that sense. Instead, we enter. Imagine going to a place that you thought was was off limits. And God saying, and go in there with praise and with joy and thanksgiving in your hearts. Look where you have been allowed to go. Into the presence of God. But not just you, Anthony. Or just you, Mary. Because the call, or you, sister, the call is not for you to come by yourself. It's a corporate call. This call from the psalmist would have been called to Israel, the people of God, as they do what? Come and worship God. We don't come into the into the building and say, I'm going to get my praise on. You cannot get your praise on unless we are all getting our praise on. Because we are corporately, as has been said before, hand in hand, ascending Mount Zion, coming and worshiping God together. It is a corporate act that we do together. We come and worship God, not as individuals, but as a body. We offer our worship to God, not in private time. But in public time, we come into the presence of God to bless his holy name. I listened to a couple of YouTubers just for fun to see what they said about how to properly uh, call people to worship. They say, I'm a worship leader at my church, and here's what we do. Again, Christ is the worship leader. I am not even the worship leader. Christ leads us to worship, not me. Not Isaiah. Christ leads us to worship. Christ is leading us now. All that we are doing is being conducted because Christ has called us to do so. Not because I have thought it to be some kind of wise or trendy or cool way of leading worship. God tells us what to do. Therefore, he leads us, not we leading you, per se. The worship leader says, here's some tips. Be energetic. Make sure you introduce yourself. Say your name. This was about three or four that I listened to. Make sure that there's a scripture connected to the first song. 
And almost like, and make sure you end it with a boom. How you doing today? Good. All right. Watch this video real quick. Yeah? Guys, I'm so excited you're here. Hey, God tells us that he saved us and Jesus, our, our, our sins are forgiven. Praise God. That, that's true. But it's not a call to worship. Does that make sense? Now, someone may say, that's kind of a, uh, you're being, what's the word? You're being too, whatever the word is, and you know what I mean. You're being too much of that. Well, who is calling us, though? And who has structured this worship? Me and what I think is fun? Let's let's praise them because of this. Or God who says, I call you to worship. And all the person has to do is read an actual imperative scripture. We're both reading the scriptures. One is appropriate. The other one, though it is true, is not meant for that specific moment of worship. Now, all the other things that he does, the woo and the good to see you guys. How you feeling today? Good to see you. That's not a part of formal worship. I could do that in the announcements and, and, and really commit no sin. But they're including that as the formal liturgy order of worship. Why do I say that? Because the instructions are, here's what you must do as a proper call to worship. Say your name. Don't forget to smile. We love energy. He then said, you don't want to do this. It was exactly what, I, what we do for worship. You don't want to go, hello, good to see you all today. And then he read a passage, and I was like, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> Passages, though they be gospel true, once I was blind, but now I see. All things work together for those who love God. We can do all things through Christ. All those things are true. But they are not imperatives from God's word to worship him. They are not the call to worship. They are gospel truths. The call to worship is the call from our covenant God to his covenant people to have covenant communion with him. And there we enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus to offer to him all of the worship that he has prescribed and all the glory that is due to his name. Third and finally, the invocation. This will be our shortest point. Hebrews 10:22. let us draw near. What do we do? Uh, he has called us. Yes, we draw near. And now comes the invocation. Invocation comes from the Latin word invocare, which simply means to call upon, to call upon. It is that time in worship where we simply do this. We ask God to help us. God calls us. We know why we're here. We're in covenant relationship with God. What does he do? He calls us to worship him. What do we do? Or what does he do? He calls us to worship. What do we do? We say, help me. Help me, Lord. Please. There's a covenantal relationship going on. God is saying, I'm calling you to worship me. And what we are saying is, okay, Lord, but help me. We respond not with singing. And forgive me for that. But we respond with a plea for help. Now, this may seem strange because we've just said we, we can enter with confidence, though. We can enter with boldness. Well, why would I need to ask God for help? Where are you? Most of us would say, not off the bat, most of us would not say, I'm in the holy place. 
most of it would say I'm here, which is the problem. The problem is that while we have truly been invited into the holy place, we often are wrestling with our flesh. We often are wrestling with the way that we feel. What has happened yesterday, this morning? What will happen later this afternoon? What are we called to do, though? We're called to offer worship to God. We are called to be caught up with Him, if you will, in worship. But our great challenge is the other call. The call of the world. Our great challenge is that while our triune God is calling us, we still wrestle and fight against sin that is also calling us. There will be a time where there will we will only hear one call and our offering will be pure and true and it will be absent of the other call. But you and I both can acknowledge that while we are here, we so often hear a different call. Whether it be from our phone, whether it be from out coming in or in thinking out. So we need his help. What better way to respond to God's call to worship him than for us to ask him for help to do so? We call upon the covenant Lord because this, without him, we are nothing. We invoke the name of God because he is faithful. We are not. Think about this. This is about what I, uh, this. Think about me asking the question. Why would we invoke? Why would we ask God for help? Think about how silly that question is. Why wouldn't we ask God for help? Why would we ask? Why wouldn't we ask God for help? We invoke the name of God because he is our help, our salvation. We invoke Yahweh because we are now offering worship to him. And we want to be sure that that it is an offering that is pleasing to him. We invoke the name of God because we're prone to wander. It may not be your feet wandering out there, but it may be heart and mind wandering as the word of God is going forth. You know people who have a hundred things going throughout their mind that you have to just stop. Slow down. And it's hard for them to even do that. This is why I love the contemplation portions of our sermon, of our time of worship. Just stop. Just slow down. There's a secular holiday, which I have not acknowledged today, that's taking place. I need to make sure food is ready. I need to make sure the eggs are ready. I need to make... No, you're in the holy place of God. What else matters? I need to make sure I get to the family because everybody's always mad at me when I show up late. Who cares? It's the Lord's day. The day that God has given to you. Listen to this. For your slowing down. Our week is... 100 miles an hour and then God on the Lord's day says break stop 
This is why we've talked about the preparation for the Lord's Day. You should be putting on the brakes Friday into Saturday. should be putting on the brakes at 12 o'clock Saturday night. I better stop. That's preparation for what we are about, for the call that's coming. We know it's coming. And I want to offer to him all that is changed. God, do I need your help? God, do I need your help? I, I am prone to wonder. I feel it. The spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. There's danger on every side, and I need your help. I need you to be my stronghold. I need you to be my fortress. The psalmist says, oh, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 51, oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth praise. But I need you, God, to open. I need you to open my lips. We need him when we worship. Some of us have been afflicted all week long. We've been tempted all week long. We've been weak all week long. And then we were going to come and offer to God worship. Oh God, I need your help. Some of us, it was a war just to get up this morning. Just to come this morning. Dear God, I need your help. Listen, for some of you, and my family is, is also in that boat, who often are late. I know sometimes it's a struggle. It's hard. It's difficult. Pastor, you don't know the struggle in the morning. I got it. I understand to some degree. God is calling you. Let's make all preparation to hear the call and respond. The voice of your shepherd Christ is calling you near to him. God is extending grace to you. He's given you strength to open your eyes, to stand, to rise. To ready yourself to gather for worship. To make your pilgrimage on the Sabbath to the holy place of God. To meet with other saints. To enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. And when there is not thanksgiving, oh God, help me to be thankful this morning. Oh God, help me to be strong in you this morning. Oh God, help me for these temptations are strong. Lord, please be my satisfaction. Oh, it is imperative that we we ask God for help. We sing, when through the deep waters, God says, I call thee to go. The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy trials to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, the Lord says, I will not desert his foes. The soul that all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. As we invoke God for help, Lord, help me. As we did this morning, what does God do? It's a conversation, isn't it? First Corinthians 1, 3 in closing, God says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And with those words of grace, with those words of, of peace that God says he's extended to us, what should we do? We, we have entered into covenant relationship, communion with God. 
We have heard the call. We have asked him for help. He said, I give you my grace. What should we do? Oh, dear brothers and sisters, let us sing to the Lord. A song, a hymn, or a spiritual song praising the one who is full of grace, boundless of grace, boundless of mercy. To God we sing. The call to worship, it is first covenant communion with God. It is God being the divine initiator to call us to worship him in his presence. It is us asking for his help and him extending mercy to us as we ask for help. And we therefore sing.